about to listen to a sermon from Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church. As a church, we want to see whole communities captivated by Jesus Christ and living out His freedom. Please join me as I read the first readings taken from Deuteronomy 1, verses 1 to 33. It's found on page 171. These are the words Moses spoke to all Israel in the desert east of the Jordan, that is, in the Arabah, opposite Suf, between Paran and Tophel, Laban, Hazaroth, and Dizahab. It takes 11 days to go from Horeb to Kadesh Barnea by the Mount Seir Road. In the 40th year, on the first day of the 11th month, Moses proclaimed to the Israelites all that the Lord had commanded him concerning them. This was after he had defeated Sihon, king of the Amorites, who reigned in Hezbon, and at Edre had defeated Og, king of Bashan, who reigned in Ashtaroth. East of the Jordan, in the territory of Moab, Moses began to expound this law, saying, The Lord our God said to us at Horeb, You have stayed long enough at this mountain. Break camp and advance into the hill country of the Amorites. Go to all the neighboring peoples in the Arabah, in the mountains, in the western foothills, in the Negev, and along the coast, to the land of the Canaanites and to Lebanon, as far as the great river, the Euphrates. See, I have given you this land. Go in and take possession of the land that the Lord swore he would give to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and to their descendants after them. At that time I said to you, You are too heavy a burden for me to carry alone. The Lord your God has increased your numbers, so that today you are as many as the stars in the sky. May the Lord, the God of your fathers, increase you a thousand times, and bless you as he has promised. But how can I bear your problems and your burdens and your disputes all by myself? Choose some wise, understanding, and respected men from each of your tribes, and I will set them over you. You answered me, what you propose to do is good. So I took the leading men of your tribes, wise and respected men, and appointed them to have authority over you as commanders of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens, and as tribal officials. And I charge your judges at that time, hear the disputes between your brothers and judge fairly, whether the case is between brother, Israelites, or between one of them and an alien. Do not show partiality in judging. Hear both small and great alike. Do not be afraid of any man, for judgment belongs to God. Bring me any case too hard for you, and I will hear it. And at that time I told you everything you were to do. Then, as the Lord our God commanded us, we set out for Horeb, and went toward the hill country of the Amorites through all the vast and dreadful desert that you have seen. And so we reached Kadesh Barnea. Then I said to you, you have reached the hill country of the Amorites, which the Lord our God is giving us. See, the Lord your God has given you the land. Go up and take possession of it, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, told you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged." Then all of you came to me and said, Let us send men ahead to spy out the land for us and bring back a report about the route we are to take and the towns we will come to. 
The idea seemed good to me, so I selected 12 of you, one man from each tribe. They left and went up into the hill country and came to the valley of Eshkol and explored it. Taking with them some of the fruits of this land, they brought it down to us and reported, it is a good land that the Lord our God is giving us. But you were unwilling to go up. You rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. You grumbled in your tents and said, the Lord hates us. So he brought us out of Egypt to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us. Where can we go? Our brothers have made us lose heart. They say, the people are stronger and taller than we are. The cities are large with walls up to the sky. We even saw the Anakites there. Then I said to you, do not be terrified. Do not be afraid of them. The Lord your God, who is going before you, will fight for you, as he did for you in Egypt before your very eyes and in the desert. There you saw how the Lord your God carried you as a father carries his son. All the way you went until you reached this place. In spite of this, you did not trust in the Lord your God, who went ahead of you on your journey, in fire by night and in a cloud by day, to search out places for you to camp and to show you the way you should go. Well, good evening. My name's Roger. I'm one of the ministers here. Let me pray. Father God, you are a good and gracious God, and we thank you for your word, and we ask this evening as we come to it that you would speak to us through it, uh, that you would continue to shape and transform us by your words. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I wonder if you've heard of the Newtown ejectment case. In, 19, in 1794, the superintendent of convicts, Nicholas Devine, was granted 210 acres of rich, fertile land. Yes, it was in Newtown and Erskineville. As he got older and looked after the land, an Irish rebel turned up. His name was Bernard Rochford. Now, if you're familiar with Erskineville, you'll know there's a Rochford Street. He moved in with Devine, and Devine eventually died. Rochford decided to forge his will. And so all the land was left to Rochford. What Rochford then decided to do was to start to sell off the land. And he sold off the land to judges and mayors and magistrates and aldermen and newspaper editors. Of course, until it became obvious that the will had been forged. And for many, many years, because of court cases, the whole area, particularly on the other side of King Street, was in legal wrangles about who owned the land and what was going on. And that's not even taking into account the original owners of the land. It was a mess, a huge mess. Land, judges, laws, how things work out, this is all the stuff of Deuteronomy. How people should live, what a community should be like, what people should do with one another. This is all the stuff of Deuteronomy. And we need to hear what Deuteronomy has to say to us because, well, actually, those things still go on and we still need to live in a world and we still need to work out what it means to be God's people in his world. Now, Deuteronomy records for us the words that God delivered to Israel. We're going to spend 
eight weeks listening to Deuteronomy. It has three major sermons in it. And really the question that keeps coming up for the people of Israel, but all of them delivered by Moses, really the question that keeps coming up for the people of Israel is, will they be faithful or not faithful to God? Will they be his people or not? Will they follow his laws or not? Will they see him as their God? Will they treat one another in the way that God has called them to? Will they worship the one true God or will they worship other gods? Will they abandon their life of justice and generosity that Yahweh has set out for their own ways? Now, in many ways, Deuteronomy suggests that the people of Israel are like a display people living their lives out before the nations. In Deuteronomy 4, for example, we'll read these words, Surely this nation is great and is a wise and understanding people. Now as such, Deuteronomy doesn't only address individuals, it addresses the whole community and gives us a picture of what a community should look like. Tonight, as we begin that journey, we're going to consider chapter 1. So you might like to have that chapter open. And we're going to consider three things, and these are three things that kind of start to open up for us the whole picture of what's taking place in Deuteronomy around land and around judges and around laws and around what God is doing. And I want to think about this under three different headings. God's grace, God's grace for community living, and God's grace refused. Come with me to Deuteronomy chapter 1. In verse 1 to 5, what we discover is an itinerary. Uh, There's no particular date given um, of when these things took place. There's no reference to other events outside Israel's history. Instead, what we hear is that Moses is speaking to his people. They're on the cusp of entering the promised land. And they have been wandering in the desert for 40 years. Now, the truth is, the journey that they had been on could have been made in two weeks. It wouldn't have taken them very long to find their way to the promised land. But things had gone spectacularly wrong in their relationship with God and they were in the wilderness for 40 years. A whole generation had passed and Moses, as he begins to speak, is speaking to the new generation as they think about entering this new land. As Moses begins... He begins by recalling God's words to them earlier. He reminds them that Yahweh has been with them over many, many years and he urges them to go into the promised land to take possession of the land. See there in verse 8, See, I have set the land before you. Enter and take possession of the land. The Lord your God swore to give to your fathers Abraham, Isaac, Jacob and their future descendants. What's so interesting here is that Moses, as he speaks, doesn't refer straight away to what took place at Sinai with the giving of the Ten Commandments. That will come later. What he does is refer to the covenant that took place with Abram. Let's spend a moment and think about that covenant because that's the context in which Deuteronomy, in which he continues to speak in Deuteronomy. Back in the day and back in Abram's day, People made covenants with one another. One of the ways they went about it is, for example, if you were a king and you had captured a group of people, you made a covenant with them, you made an agreement with them, you set up laws and regulations about how they would relate to you, 
on the basis of your kingship. Now, this bit's a bit gory, but this is the way they used to do it. One of the ways they used to approach this is they used to split animals in half. And they would ask the vassal or the people who'd been captured or the people who are subjects of the king, they'd ask a representative to walk through the middle of the the split animals on either side. Now, the threat, of course, the implied threat there was that you could be split in two if you didn't fulfill the covenant with the king. So it's pretty serious. (laughs) Like, you didn't want to mess with the king if that's what was taking place. But you can see the imbalance of power, can't you? The king sat there and said, you walk through. If you disobey, then it's off, and it's like you being split in two. What's so interesting is when we go back to Genesis chapter 15, we find a covenant ceremony like this, but actually... There's something very significantly different. There is the splitting of these animals. They're cut in half and they're laid on either sides. And Abram's there. And we read in chapter in verse 10, as the sun was setting deep into the sky, a deep sleep came over Abram. He's asleep. He's present, he knows what's going on, but he's actually asleep at the the important moment of the walking through. God puts him to sleep. And then we read, when the sun had set and it was dark, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch appeared and passed through the divided animals. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram saying, I give this land to your offspring. What's so significant about that is God is making a covenant with his people, but he is the one that walks through. He is the one that says, if this covenant is broken, I will be split in two. He is the one who's saying, I will take the punishment if this covenant is broken. And ultimately, of course, we see that take place in Jesus Christ and his death on the cross. He receives the punishment that we deserve because of our disobedience with God. And he takes the punishment that we deserve because of the breaking of the covenant. And so as Moses begins the story of Deuteronomy, as Moses begins to preach, he is reminding the people of Israel of just how committed God is to them. Just how beautifully gracious he has been towards them. How committed he is to the covenant with him, to see that they have the land that he promised. It's a beautiful picture of God's goodness and kindness to his people. What's so interesting, though, is that the next thing that happened is not something that you'd expect. You might expect the story to go on and tell you various things. You might expect to hear about Sinai, and as I said, we'll hear about the Ten Commandments a little bit later on. What we hear next is about God's grace to his people and the way that that works out in terms of living in community. 
Now, verses 6 and 8 give us a description of how their community is to work. Moses says, as he looks up amongst the people and sees that there are so many of them, he says, I just want to remind you, I said this to, said this to God, I can't actually do this by myself. I can't bear this responsibility for leading these people by myself. Now, I think that's tremendous humility. Uh, if you think about where the people of Israel have been before the wilderness, they were with Pharaoh, who was in charge. He was ruthless. He was autocratic. He, what he said went. Remember how many times they tried to leave? I will, you know, I'll let your people go. No, I won't let your people go. Remember that story and how it worked? They're used to a very autocratic society. And here's Moses, and he's saying, I cannot bear the responsibility for my own, on my own. What's clearly happened is that Moses has got God's grace and he understands that he's fully dependent on God and that he can't do it all by himself. And so he asks God, is there a way we can do things here? And God gives him permission to appoint people who are leaders over hundreds, over thousands, over hundreds, over fifties, over tens, as you see there in verse 15. And each of these leaders are to be people who can hear cases. And what's so interesting about these cases are they're cases of disputes between people within the community and actually also with resident aliens, people who are not so attached to the community as the people of God are. And so... There's a way in which people can come together, but, but listen to what they're to do as they judge. In verse 17, do not show partiality when deciding a case. Listen to the small and great alike. Do not be intimidated by anyone, for judgment belongs to God. Now you see how this works, don't you? It's, it's saying that God's in charge and people should refer to God and God is the judge, the ultimate judge of all things. But these leaders who have been appointed are to treat people well. It doesn't matter whether you're rich or poor, powerful or powerless, whether you're educated or uneducated, you are to be treated in the same way. There's a justice and a beautiful mercy about what's taking place here. And those who are judging are not to be intimidated by other people who are more powerful because God is ultimately in charge. It's a beautiful picture of God's grace at work in terms of humility, in terms of people being respected and regarded well, of God's laws being appropriately administered within this society. It's a beautiful picture of God's justice at work amongst his people. And so Moses has reminded them of the covenant and reminded them of how they are to organise themselves. And he continues to set before them this notion that they are to go into the promised land, go into the land and take it over. You know, think with all of this, the people of Israel would go, oh, that's fantastic, we've got a God who's on our side, look at what he's done, this has been wonderful. God is clearly dedicated to us. But what we discover is the people of God here refuse God's grace to them. And what we see here is two pictures of how that happens. And these two pictures actually are pictures of the human heart and are consistent with our hearts. 
That's why it's important to understand them because they actually reflect who we are actually to a large degree. The way the people of Israel react. They've had all this happen to them. God's grace has been good to them. But they react in a way that shows that they haven't understood God's grace deep in their hearts. See there in verse 21, God sets the land before them and he says to them, go up and take a possession of it. Now, we'll hear some gruesome details about how he takes possession of it in the coming weeks, and particularly if you're going to be part of our devotions, which we are going to produce um, every week. If you haven't signed up for that, sign up for that, just a reminder to do that. You'll hear how some of this looks pretty ordinary, actually. And so it's important to keep remembering God is a God of grace and he's working out his purposes in his graciousness towards people. But basically what he says is, I want you to go and take over this land. I want you to destroy the people who are there because they're worshipping other gods and they're not worshipping me. People of Israel are a bit concerned, so they send out 12 spies to go and look through the land. The spies come back with great reports. Uh, It's almost like they've found the Garden of Eden. It's that kind of language, that sort of, wow, there's so much abundance. It's beautiful. It's a wonderful place. And yet, there's a problem. The problem is that they also notice that the cities are large and they're fortified. And they notice that some of the people there are much larger and taller than they are. And it scares them. And they say, we're not willing to go there. Moses says to them in verse 29, I said, don't be terrified or afraid. The Lord your God goes before you and will fight for you, just as you saw him do in Egypt. And you saw in the wilderness how God... Your God carried you as a father carries his son all along the way as, as you travel until you reach this place. He reminds them, look, God has been active and protecting you, even in the wilderness. But the people of Israel say, we've heard about God's grace, we understand God's grace, but we're not going to do what he's called us to do. We're not going to be obedient. And actually, in Numbers chapter 14, we hear how bad it really gets. Deuteronomy just sort of kind of tells us a little bit of the story, but Numbers 14 actually really tells us what what they did. The whole of the community, after hearing about the reports of this land, broke into loud cries and people wept all night, it says. They complained to Moses and Aaron and they said things like this, if only we had died in the land of Egypt, if only we had died in the wilderness, why is the Lord bringing us to die to this land by the sword? Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? So they said, let's, let's appoint another leader. And then, as the chapter unfolds, we see that the whole community threatens to stone Moses and Aaron. This is not just we disagree with God and what he's had to say with us. This is we're going in a completely different direction And those of you put over us, we want to stone to death. This is the reaction. They've decided to quit it with God. They've decided we don't want any more of this. 
despite God's gracious love for them, despite all God has done for them over many, many years, despite his commitment to them, even when he knows they will break the covenant, they start to turn their backs on him. And that's the human heart. That's often the way the human heart works. God, We can be aware of what God has done and all the amazing things he's done for us in Christ. And yet when it comes to being obedient, we can say, hey, we're going the other direction. We want to go the we, we want a different leader. We want a different we want to worship a different God. Because we don't like what you're calling us to do. We don't like what you're saying we should do. We want to go a different direction. Well, the people of Israel change their mind. They have a change of heart, or at least it would appear so. In verse 37, Moses reminds them that God gets very angry with them because of what they have said. And in fact, so angry that Moses, as their leader, will not enter into the promised land. And they say, okay, we recognise, in verse 41, we have sinned. We have sinned against the Lord. We have done the wrong thing. And we will go up and fight just as the Lord our God has commanded. And so they put on their weapons prepared to go to war. Now, they sound right, don't they? They sound like they're doing what God has commanded them to do. They're sorry. But what we discover very quickly is they're not really repentant. They're just sorry. There's a difference, you know. You remember when you were a kid and um, your parents said to you, um, I don't want you to take the chocolate biscuits out of that jar. They've got to stay in the pantry. That's where they've got to stay. And then one day, you found yourself in the pantry grabbing all the chocolate biscuits, taking them and eating them, and then you found out and you said, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Mum, Mum, I'm really sorry. I didn't, you know, like, I don't, I'm really sorry. Now, why are you saying you're sorry? Because you don't want to get into trouble. The following week, you find yourself doing the same thing again. Because what's happened is you're sorry because of the consequences and because of what might happen, but you're actually not truly repentant. You're not actually going in the opposite direction to where you were before. You're still taking the chocolate biscuits. And that's what's happening with the people of God here. They're sorry, they're worried about the consequences, they're fearful of what God will do, but they're actually not genuinely repentant because what we see in verse 42 is that God says, I've had a change of plans, by the way. I don't want you to go and fight. And in fact, if you do go and fight, you will be defeated by your enemies. And what do the people of Israel do? They go and fight and they're defeated by their enemies. They really had not learnt their lesson. They really had not learnt to be obedient to God because they were sorry, but
but they weren't truly repentant of what they had done. Isn't that us? There are times where we say we're sorry to God and we're sorry and we're sorry, but actually we don't truly repent. We, we hold on to those things. We, we take them with us. And then we come back to God and say, look, I'm sorry I've done this, but actually we haven't changed direction. We haven't truly started to worship God for who he is and start to do what he's called us to do, to be obedient to him in all that we do. You see, I think what Deuteronomy is trying to do at the very beginning here is to tell us if we are going to be obedient people, if we are going to follow what God has called us to be and to do, we need to fall in love with God and his grace. We need to fall in love with God and what he's done for us. We need to see the price he was prepared to pay to stay in relationship with us. Do you hear those beautiful words in verses 30 and 31? The Lord your God goes before you. He saw you in the wilderness. He saw you when you were lost and you didn't know what you were doing and when you were being disobedient. But the Lord your God has carried you as a father carries a child. Listen to the beautiful grace and mercy of God. It reminds me of those words that Jesus said, and listen to the order of them, when he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. I will give you rest. And then he says, in light of coming to my rest, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart. You will find rest for your soul. Listen to the order there. It's come to me. Rest in me. Believe in me. Trust me. Let me take your burdens. Let me show you my grace and my love for you. And I will give you rest. You will find rest for your souls. And as you do, you will learn from me. You'll learn what it means to be obedient, for I am gentle and humble in heart, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Moses, as he speaks to this new generation, is saying, please, listen to this God of grace. Listen to what God has done for you and is doing for you and be obedient as a result of that. I invite you to do the same. Amen. Church podcast. For more audio content and information about our church, please visit neac.com.au.